0: On this edition of the Bill Kelly Show podcast with me, Scott Radley, sitting in for Bill for one more day, we're going to be talking about the Ford government. There's people who are angry for sure. Is it warranted? Is it fair? Is it justified? When you look around the world and see so many other places are also struggling, what blame, what measure of blame should the Ford government take? We'll talk about that with Rick Brennan. We're going to be talking about which country has done the COVID thing better, Canada or the States? And when I say done it better, handled it better. You know where I'm coming on that one. And we're going to talk about sleep because a lot of people these days apparently are having a very difficult time getting a proper night's sleep. Why is that? Oh, there's a bunch of reasons. And here's betting that when you listen, you're doing at least one of these. We'll talk about it. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I'm not going to say anything in the next few seconds here that I don't think is going to surprise anyone. We are seeing two radically, I don't know, but two different approaches, certainly, to dealing with COVID and the latest COVID variant, depending on which side of the border you're on. Here in Canada, Omicron has spawned many lockdowns and government-imposed restrictions. Freedom, in some cases, is being sacrificed for health. In the States, not so much. Different story. It's more about personal choice. Health is potentially, some would say, being sacrificed for freedom. Which one is the better option? Is there one that is demonstratively, objectively better? John Allen is a former Canadian diplomat and a senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. He joins us now. John, thank you for the time today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So I suspect as I'm giving that little intro at the beginning there, um, many people who are listening are going to be saying in their heads, yeah, look at those idiot Americans. They're fighting against staying home. They're fighting against wearing masks. They're fighting against vaccines. Is it that clear cut that that we are doing everything better than the Americans are doing?
1: Well, um, I I think if you take a look at the numbers uh, in terms of mortality, for example, uh, there are over 800,000 deaths in the United States due to COVID, and we're at um, about 30,000. And I would think that many of our 30,000 came at the front end before we got a handle on things. Uh, usually when we compare uh, Canada and the United States, we use the 10% rule because we're about 10% of the population. And as you can see, if if you consider life as... Uh, as a value and important, uh, then uh, I would say that uh, that there is a significant difference uh, a, a, on the facts. Uh, of course, uh, there are many reasons for that difference. The other thing I would just say um, uh, is that we have to remember that fifty percent of Americans are Democrats, and many of them are more liberal than than Canadians. We're, we're a pretty conservative bunch in many ways, um, and the 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 part of the the difficulty in the United States right now is the level of polarization, um, which uh, I think uh, is is prohibiting uh, concerted and unified action in in many places. Um, obviously, there are differences in states, uh, Texas and Florida being uh, Uh, the most libertarian, and uh, California and New York uh, the least. But nowhere do politicians seem to be able to impose the kind of lockdowns that we have here.
0: Let's talk about the politics for a minute, because I think it's a very valid point you bring up about how politicized and, and polarized things are in the States. I think they are here too, maybe not quite to the same extent yet, although, and I'm touching wood that we don't actually get there, but it has been, uh, COVID has not been a, well, it's been a health crisis for sure, but it's also been a political crisis. It's been a political fight as much as it's been a medical fight down there in a lot of cases.
1: It's true. And, you know, um, I attribute part of this, we can talk about peace, order, and good government versus, uh, uh, you know, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, how we were born out of slightly different uh, 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 origins. Um, But what I attribute um, uh, a lot of the the current problems to is Donald Trump and his having given license to the worst instincts of Americans and given power to some of the most racist elements of society, like the Proud Boys and the others that uh, attacked the Capitol last January 6th. When you have a leader, a president, um who is prepared to play fast with the truth um and uh, frankly at the beginning to minimize uh the effects of covid of course until he got it and needed all the treatment and then you're you're sending a message uh to a lot of people that um that they should follow along and and they have followed along and i think that's that's been uh, a big a big part of the problem There are uh, obviously other factors as well. Um, uh, America is simply a a society that values individualism over the collective, whereas I think Canadians uh, are much more willing to uh, accept that collective rights and working together as a community uh, have benefits. Uh, It's not perfect, um, and compromises have to be made but we're just not into individual rights, carrying guns, uh, et cetera, et cetera, the way Americans are.
0: And, and I look, I, I think that many, many, many people listening right now are going to be nodding their head at what you say and say, yes, Donald Trump was certainly a part of the problem here. At the same time, early on when the vaccine was coming out, Uh, During the election campaign, we had, and I talked about this on the show yesterday, we had Joe Biden and Kamala Harris expressing concerns about taking the vaccine because it was created under a Donald Trump administration and throwing some doubt on it. I mean, the politicization, uh, not taking anything away from what you said about Trump, this has been political everywhere on both sides. It's been, uh, we have fights about everything, depending on which side of the political strata you're standing on
1: absolutely there's no question about it and um, and that's extremely unfortunate we see elements of that in the canadian parliament um, as well um, but i would say less to some extent less in canadian society of course there are anti-vaxxers in canada but to a much lesser degree and uh, as you've suggested um canadians are far more willing um, to uh, accept uh, a certain degree of lockdown. Obviously, uh, school lockdowns is a huge problem for uh, families, especially single parents. But on the other hand, um, a lot of people don't want uh, teachers and their and their children exposed to this rapidly uh, <clears throat> moving Omicron. So we're prepared to to balance uh, these interests, whereas uh, Americans tend to uh, always fall on uh, the libertarian or the uh, the individual right side of the equation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I don't want to say what you've just said, but I mean, we do tend to tolerate and in some cases encourage more I don't know, is the right word, encroachment, more, more involvement in government in our lives. And, and many Americans would see government as something to keep as minimal as possible. And it's, it, it is, as you say, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's more than just a now phenomenon. This is, this is what you've been brought up believing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, do we call uh, Medicare encroachment? Uh, the Americans call Medicare socialism. socialism. And 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 taking away your rights. Uh, once again, you know it's your right to die if you don't have enough money to <clears throat> pay the bills at uh, at an American hospital. Do we consider um, uh, public universities where tuition is reasonable um, uh, encroachment? Um, we don't, we don't see things, uh, in the same way that Americans do. I don't, I don't view that as encroachment on my rights. I view it as coming together with society to provide benefits that, um, otherwise, uh, you know, only the wealthy are able to afford. Um, you know, people talk about the great benefit of America. It's innovation, um, and, uh, its its activity and um, uh, and its wealth but they have the most unequal society now in the world and it's getting worse Uh, and they're unable even to raise taxes on uh, multi-billionaires not multi-millionaires anymore they can't even get congress to to raise taxes to to try and level the playing field so uh, you know, you can call certain things encroachment and, and uh, a lockdown or, or forcing people to get vaccines by putting barriers in their way if they don't have them um, is a certain level of encroachment. But there are other aspects of our two societies that, you know, for a European or a Canadian simply make sense.
0: I mean, look, in in these conflicting views, in some ways it comes down to the view of the individual and individual responsibility. They would say, you decide if you're going to go out, you decide if you're going to take that risk, and if you do, you live with the consequence of your decision. We here would be more saying the state will decide what's better for us and the state will protect us as a collective I mean, you can you can certainly make an argument for either side. You can certainly make an argument that you know you should be responsible for you, but those are two very different positions to be taking.
1: Well, it's true, but um, on the question of Medicare, uh, I think your analogy works. If you don't want to support Medicare and you want to rely on your own income to take care of your health, that's your right. But on the question of vaccination. Uh, this issue was settled a long time ago with mumps and measles and other vaccinations that everybody has accepted. I mean, not everybody. There are certain religions that don't. But let's say 99% of Americans and Canadians and Europeans have accepted that those vaccinations were needed because um, if you didn't have them, you were a threat to the rest of society. So it's no different than a seatbelt. Um, you know, uh, or or, well, actually it is different than a seatbelt because that is individual protection. But it's it's no different uh, than putting a proper bumper on a car. You're doing it not necessarily to protect you, but to protect somebody that you're going to hit. And the fact that people can somehow say that, uh, uh, you know, taking a vaccine is only an individual issue when it indeed affects all the people around you if you haven't been vaccinated uh, then uh, I, I i differ on that one
0: this may be a weird question i've just been thinking about it as we've been talking but is the is the absolute bottom line in this discussion if we're going to have a winner who, who's who's the better who's doing it better is total number of deaths the absolute cold-hearted bottom line or are there other factors here that when this whole thing is done we'll say yes more people died here but something else happened here that was less offensive in the long term is 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 that how we're going to measure this in the end by pure numbers well
1: i, I mean i think it's 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 a, an extremely important number you know yes. 3000 people died at 911 and the world changed uh, america changed the entire world after that and 800,000 people have died, and they seem to accept that. I, I know there's different causes, but a life is a life. Um, I don't think it's only lives. I think, for example, if lockdowns didn't come with assistance from the government to individuals who lost their jobs or to businesses who had to close, I think if it was if it was uh, just lockdown and everybody's on their own, then you would have to measure the economic and the psychological stress uh, as we try to measure the psychological stress on children not going to school. I think you have to measure these things. But I think I think lives are, uh, you know, a a pretty important uh, factor here and. and also, uh, having a government step up and realize that uh, the restrictions that they're imposing have effects and trying to deal with them at the same time. But, um, uh, you know, uh, Canadians, you know, some Canadians have moved to the United States because they, they like that freedom to, to make money and to innovate and others would, prefer to stay in Canada because um, they appreciate uh, the benefits of uh, a more socialist state, as Mm -hmm. Americans would say.
0: And, and, you know, you touched on sort of where I was getting at here is that clearly, I mean, you know, deaths are clearly the headline to this. But there are arguments that some would say, yeah, but those who survive at the end, if children have mental health issues because of what's happened and the stresses, or if the economy is in the tank and we are now as a country unable to pay the debts that we've accrued and all the rest, that you have problems that persist afterwards. And and again, I, I, I don't know how you... I don't know how you necessarily declare a winner. I don't know. I mean, deaths would seem to be the, as I say, the big headline on this one. But I, I don't know if that's the exclusive headline on this. Ultimately. Yeah. No it's
1: it's not the it's not the exclusive headline. Uh, but I um, you know I think it is a it's a hugely important headline. Of course. And of the course. other element here is it's not just the deaths. I mean, the other factor that a lot of people are starting to get really worked up on is the fact that people with cancer and people with cardiac problems and people with very serious illnesses that have nothing to do with COVID are being prevented from getting the care yes. and the surgical operations that they need because anti-vaxxers are filling up uh, our, uh, our hospital beds and our surgeries and our icus and um you know so once again it's not just it's not just the deaths and it's not just comparing them it's what impact is this having on uh the lives of uh other canadians who frankly you know have been waiting for an operation for six months or cancer treatment etc um and and we are you know people are skipping the line jumping the line because they've got COVID and they chose not to be vaccinated. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's problematic.
0: Uh, John Allen, former Canadian diplomat and senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Very much appreciate the time today. Thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you very much. You're listening
0: to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We want to uh, connect with Rick Brennan for our, um, our politics update, a politics roundup that we do on the show here regularly. Rick is a long time, has been a long time journalist with the Toronto Star covering Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. One of the guys who knows more about the goings on at those places than just about anyone else. Rick, how are you today? Good, Scott. Yourself? I am excellent. Thanks for doing this again. Always love having you on here. Uh, Rick, there has been, and I don't think I'm saying anything that no one else has already heard, there's been an awful lot of anger uh, this week generated and pointed towards Doug Ford and his government. Is it justified? Well, in part, I can't blame him
2: entirely, but in part, the problem is that he has always been reactive and not proactive. And that's where the confusion lies. He's, he says one thing one day, one day and changes it the next day. And that nothing, nothing makes parents, particularly with kids in school, angry to not know what's going on. And I think that's why people are angry. And certainly all the restaurant owners and shop owners, they're as confused as anybody else. And that, that you know, therein lies the problem.
0: And I wonder if therein also lies the problem for the government itself. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not standing here lining up to offer defenses. They can defend themselves. But when I look around the rest of the world, everyone else, every province, every country seems to be having the same thing, where they have to keep moving and changing and coming up with different answers to new problems. Um, so you know when you when you look at the bigger picture and you see I know all politics is local, uh, so obviously we're looking here. But is it a fair criticism when everyone else is having the same issues?
2: It's fair when it impacts you. Of course,
0: that's you bet it is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's why I say every all politics is local, right? When it's local, it, it, it hits. Exactly, it hits home. Scott.
2: Sure, we can look around and say, oh, you know, it's not situation, not great in Alberta, it's not great in BC, and France is having a terrible time. And we say, yeah, but it's me that's affected (laughs) by what's happening here on Ontario. But I think an unnamed aide to, uh, to Doug Ford, the premier, said, the cold reality is that we're not in charge, the virus is in charge. And that basically in a nutshell captures it. This is we're out of is belief. that true
0: or a cop-out? Is that true or is that a cop-out answer?
2: No, I think it's true. I, I we're out of, our, you know, we've we not seen anything like this before, certainly in, in our generations. And what what's happening here is that this the you know the variant is moving so quickly that we can't keep up to it. What it has shown Scott is the fissures in the Healthcare system, and the, the cracks are growing wider and wider every day. Not enough nurses. People, you know, uh, with you know, to have cancer treatment, to have operations, etc. In some cases, life-saving operations are being turned aside because of the overwhelming impact of the corona uh, not coronavirus. I should say the omniv. Uh, virus, Omicron, Omicron virus. Excuse me, I can't talk. And okay. anyway, so that's that's the problem, and we're, we're dealing with just not that the virus itself. We're dealing with the you know there's certainly the impact that the, the pebble in the pond, if you will, that the effect is having on everything in the healthcare system and our healthcare systems stretched to the limit now and you don't have to you don't have to be a healthcare expert to see that it is just it can't handle anymore and it's going to be required to handle more so very interesting to see how this all how all this you know comes out at the end of the day
0: i want to get back to the healthcare thing in a second because i think we need more time on that one but just before we we get into that part You worked at Queen's Park for a long, long time. Uh, You know the machinations of the place as well as anyone. Truly, would there be any party, any government that would be equipped to deal with the flood of crises that is flowing in on a daily basis? I mean, and again, I'm not looking to offer a, a shield to the Ford government. I'm wondering if if there would be any government at any time that would have been fully equipped if our system is designed to be equipped to handle this amount of number of things.
2: Scott, that's the age old question. You know, what, what would the, another government do? Would it be any better? And I certainly can't tell you, but if I, if I was to guess, I would say probably not because they would they would encounter the same problems that the, you know, the Ford government is, is, you know, encountering right now is that we're just being overwhelmed and we haven't got the, uh, you know, the system in place to handle something like this. So no, I, I don't think, I don't think any government, you know, any other government might, you know, do this a little better, do that. Not quite so well, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, would you know, would they do any much better? I, I don't think so. They'll tell you they will. Of course, opposition parties, they'll you know, they'll tell you that they can solve the, every problem the earth on the earth today, but <laughs> they wouldn't be able to. And I'll tell you, Doug Ford was the last guy in the world that wanted to shut down this system again because this will cost him. Well, I just know from some inside information that they were fighting tooth and nail in cabinet. He he did not want to shut down or bring any kind any more restrictions on the system than we already had because he knew how angry parents are going to be, and that anger we'll see if it sticks around to June, when the next provincial election. But that anger could could hurt him uh, a lot.
0: Mm. Well, and, and, you know, some of these decisions, um, you're right, they are on, I mean, we, we've heard lots of parents, uh, whether by conversation or on social media or anecdotally, we've heard lots of parents who are really, really upset. And on the flip side, you say, but, how, you know, wh- where's the right answer? Because while parents here are being furious that these schools are going to remote, you look in a place like Chicago, for example, where people are furious that the schools are being kept open. They want to go to remote. If if it had been the other way and suddenly some kids or some teachers end up getting Omicron and then all of a sudden you're screwed for not having closed the schools and protecting the kids. Like, again, it sounds like I'm throwing up defenses. I'm more just looking at this going, how do you resolve this? There there doesn't seem to be a right answer in a lot of these places.
2: And, And Scott, that's perfectly fair because what, you know, what would we do if we had it had gone back to schools and, and put kids back in schools and and things continued on in a relatively normal sense, and it, the system and the you know the problem became even worse. Well, then we would say to the government, why the heck didn't you lock us down?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it, it becomes the there there may be a right answer out there, and we may be getting it wrong. I'm not I'm not discounting that possibility, but you don't really know necessarily if there was or if there wasn't. And I guess the way we're going to judge this ultimately down the road is uh, you look at places like, um, I don't know, Ohio and Maryland and Pennsylvania and Newfoundland and PEI and these places in Wisconsin that have shut schools and then you're going to, in Ontario, and then you're going to compare them, I guess, to places that didn't and see if there's a way to tell who was right in the end. And I don't even know if that if we're going to get a clear answer from that because it's not just the virus we've heard from many people. It's also the mental health of the kids and the emotional health and the education that are falling behind. I, I don't know how we're going to gauge this in the end, but maybe down the road, history will help us with this better than current day will.
2: Well, it's old expression, Scott, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And that certainly applies here. Again, I go back to... The situation, it's the confusion, that's, people are fine if you tell them this is the way it's going, it, we've got to, got to make an effort to try and turn the tide here, but we're told one day that, you know, kids will be back to school in a couple of days, you know, everything's just Jim Dandy, and then within, you know, hours, we're told that, no, they're not going to go back to the 17th. And, and I think it was the 29th or something for the, you know, for gyms and to open up again or whatever. Just give people, a, a, you know, something to look forward to and give them a guideline. And that's what we lack here. It, it was just total confusion every time another variant, an, another uh, problem with the pandemic props parent crops up, that's where I think people just say, God, what are we doing here? Are we closed? Yeah. Are we closed? You know, yeah. if you give me some time, I'll, you know, I'll make efforts to bring in somebody to help with the, you know, kids. If you've got three kids at home and you're trying to teach them all, you know, they're all online, et cetera. But it's it sprung on them in the, in the last minute. And that's where people say, hold on, what's happening?
0: You know, and and it's funny because despite all this, and when I say funny, I don't mean ha-ha funny. um, The last public opinion polling that was done, now it was done at the very end of 2021. It was before the more recent lockdowns, which could affect things. But the last public opinion polling that we have said the conservatives still have a substantial lead over the NDP and the liberals. And considering how everything we hear is how angry everybody is with the conservatives, I wonder how's that possible?
2: Well that was at the end of the year, so and mid mid midterm uh polls, I I just you know, you you take them as an out of interest, uh, but I I don't put a whole lot of stock in it. I mean that that can change in a heartbeat. Not saying it will. Maybe he's still high in the poll. I haven't seen one just recently in the last you know, the few days. No. He may still be high in the polls, but you don't tell people what's going on until the last minute. That's going to affect you. We've seen it in politics before. And I think that he's got to start being more proactive instead of being reactive all the time. okay, oh oh geez, it's really bad. We got to do something now. Well, it's been bad for a while, Doug. And you and you're just getting around to it now. And that's where, that's where people, that's where people are thinking. And that's where, what that's really bugging the heck out of
0: them. You uh, alluded, I want to get back to what you talked about a moment ago. I said, I was going to get back to healthcare. You alluded to the fissures in the healthcare system that we are now seeing exposed. Is a world global health crisis the time to deal? I mean, I suppose we have to deal with them with the with the problems with our healthcare system cuz they have been exposed but is th- is this a time that you can fix things in the healthcare system okay. when everyone is scrambling like crazy just to try and keep their heads above water
2: well we're scrambling and we'll be scrambling for a while but it's a time to learn something scott in the midst of all this chaos somebody with a clear head should be you know looking at it and saying okay we've gone through this This is what has to change. And I'm sure there is that person with a clear head that's looking at it. That's this is you take you take advantage of a a bad situation and you figure out, okay if this happens again, we'll put we'll put this system in place so we can weather the storm much better than we're doing right now. And part of that will be hiring more nurses.
0: And that's and that's an answer that a lot of people, uh, Richard, I, I, I don't. I think I've heard that, I don't know how many times. Let's hire more nurses. And, and, and it's a good answer. I, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an absolutely, it's a good answer. Um, it's a better answer, I would argue, and a more realistic and a more practical and a more logical answer than what we heard yesterday when the opposition parties get together. And here's the headline on the global news story about this. Ontarians face unnecessary suffering and death without health staff pay raises. And I'm like, wait a second. Okay, I I get the hiring more nurses. That makes a ton of sense. I'm not sure that raising people's pay at this very moment is going to stop this thing. I, it it seems, even in the midst of this, I I don't know that we're looking at necessarily always the right things as the fixes to this kind of thing.
2: You know, that's a typical opposition answer. You know, it's a knee-jerk answer. It's a you know, it's something that might grab a headline. And, you know, I saw it time and time again every day that the opposition would come up with something that they hoped would get them some traction. And that's what that is. It, it, should nurses make more money? I'd be happy to pay nurses more money. But don't worry, about this that's not the answer right now.
0: That, that's it's, something for down the road. That, that may solve follows so, down the road. Uh, I'm not sure that that's going to solve the crisis that we're facing right now. If, if you've got all these medical people who we're hearing are off sick, I don't know that suddenly saying we're going to pay you $5 an hour more is going to make them healthier and bring them back to work immediately in the immediate term. But, but as far as hiring more nurses, um, you know, if we're putting that, doing that off, then I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people would say, and I think it's a reasonable thing to say, yeah, we would do better with more nurses. We would do better with more doctors, with more PSWs, with all those, that, that makes tons of sense.
2: And that's, that's what we're going to have to address when we've been able to take a breath. And figure out how to address this situation right now. It's it's hard. It's hard to see, uh, you know, well into the future when you're up to your eyeballs right now, and that's where you know that's where the healthcare system is now. And hopefully, uh, as they've seen in in South Africa, that this has started, or at least it was, has uh, started to wane, and that will be the time to assess the situation. But now it's it's just hard. To grasp where you can go from now, because you're in the midst of it, and that's that's the tough part. I mean, you just you have to see the the uh, photo on the top, uh, front of the Toronto Star today, where a team of, of hospital folks are rushing somebody from a, an ambulance in, into the hospital, and they're just scrambling. It's 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 an emotional photo, but you, it, it tells the story that they're running. They've
0: been run off their feet. They've been run off their feet for a while and they need help. But Rick, you've brought up and we got to run, but you brought up what I think, I mean, look, you, you said a lot of really good things, but I think the one thing that you said that really should, that resonates with me is look, if you're swimming, it's really hard to make a lot of the changes where I think that the Ford government really should be judged is when there is a moment for anyone to catch their breath, if, if we follow South Africa's lead and this thing is a flaming meteor that cools out in a few, when you have a moment to catch your breath, have you learned anything from this? And can you begin to implement very, very quickly the lessons you've learned? If you do, that's one thing. If after that, if you still don't fix any of these things, that's a very different story. That, that's, I think that is a fairer probably time to pass judgment on any government. I, I agree with you totally. Let's see what uh, happens and, when there's a moment.
2: Yeah. Well, there's, you know, it's a few months, not that far away. Yeah. it you know, June is the election. So, you know, will they even have a chance?
0: To well, that's, to that's, that's, I mean, that's certainly a question, but as, Hey, if, if we can follow South Africa's lead and let's say a month from now, things are back to a dull roar, it's still around, but it's, you know, people can not be treading water at a thousand miles an hour. Are there lessons that have been learned and plans that are being devised that can be put in place quickly? That that I think will be a very fair judgment then of this government.
2: Well, I'll tell you, I've seen it before and I you know it's from your your lips to God's ears, I guess, but I've seen it before and I did never seem to learn anything. SARS was perfect
0: <laughs> Yeah. That's well we'll yeah. we'll see if we'll see if the lessons have been learned. Rick, I gotta run. I'm way over. We'll see if lessons have been learned this time. Uh, Rick Brennan, we always love having you on. Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking about sleep. We're talking about sleep, which you may or may not be having much of these days. There is anecdotal evidence, and it may be more than anecdotal, that people have been getting less sleep during the pandemic, that people have been struggling with sleep during the pandemic. Getting less, even if they're sleeping, getting less good sleep during the pandemic, whether it is stress related, whether it is working more and not sleeping as much, whether it is drinking more than usual, which apparently we hear people are doing, uh, it seems people are not getting the rest that they once did, which is a problem. I'm no doctor, but even I can understand that not sleeping is going to lead to problems. We hear it all the time. And anytime, look, anytime you've had a bad sleep at night, you know it affects you. And you do that over day after day after day after day. It has to have an effect on you. Dr. Cheryl Green is an associate professor with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at McMaster University. She joins us now. Doctor, thank you for the time today. Appreciate it.
3: Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Happy New Year and good to Happy be Happy New
0: Year to you, and I hope you are sleeping well, if no one else is. Um,
3: <laughs> trying to. <laughs>
0: do you believe, when we hear these stories, and there's lots of, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's anecdotal, I guess, a lot, although maybe not all, but do you believe it's the case that we are having a widespread problem with sleep these days?
3: Oh, 100%, Scott. It's uh, We do have uh, research here uh, stating as much as well. Um i, I work one of the clinics i work at uh at st joes is a sleep medicine clinic and uh some of my colleagues and i are referring to uh this this pandemic um as um a lot of people suffering from corona insomnia so it huh. uh, it is a it is definitely uh uh occurring here uh, a lot more people experiencing uh difficulties with sleep and the formal diagnosis of insomnia
0: so w- Look, there. There could be any number of reasons. What's your theory, if there is one, on the main cause of why this is happening now? Uh,
3: yeah, we um, we know that with uh, in pre-pandemic times, right? We have uh, some uh, good routine and rhythms to our day. We have schedules we have we follow, and uh, this is what the body likes. It likes to be able to. Uh, uh, know what's happening next, uh, know when we're going to wake up, know uh, what we're doing, getting to work, uh, engaging in different activities and and heading to bed around the same time. Uh, Now that the pandemic has has hit and now going on two years of it, uh, it has uh, caused a lot of um, uh, irregular schedules and um, causing us to have uh, uh, a lot of um, uh, different uh, um, activities happening at different times, including sleep. So that, that messes up uh, our whole system here. And um, there are very, very effective um, uh, behavioral and psychological treatments to correct those things, which is, which is very good.
0: Let me, let me back up. I should have asked this off the mm-hmm. top. Let me back up a little bit here. Why do we need sleep?
3: Oh, yeah, sleep is uh, is important, um, as I heard you say a moment ago, important for uh, functioning here. Uh, even people who don't have insomnia, if we don't have a good night's sleep one night, uh, we feel that, right? The next morning we feel, uh, from an emotional perspective, more irritable, less patient, right? A little bit maybe more anxious. Um, we, we can get a little bit cloudy uh, from a cognitive perspective. We're not... Able to uh, perform uh, some of our, our tasks, uh, daily tasks, is as uh, uh, um, competently as we, we normally do, and, and at work maybe not quite as sharp. So, uh, rest uh, sleep is important to be able to um, uh, kind of recover from from the day's activities, uh, uh, the previous day's activities, and it allows um, uh, allows that to happen. So when we don't get that, we we absolutely feel it.
0: And we do. I mean, look, it's a physical thing. People understand when you say you feel cloudy or whatever. I mean, there is a physical feeling when you don't get sleep. It's not just mental, but Mm -hmm. what happens physiologically? What is going on in our body when we sleep? What, what What changes are being made to our body when we do or when we don't get sleep?
3: Uh yeah so we are not allowing that restorative um uh process to to occur right like every every night there are different stages of uh, sleep that we engage in um uh the first uh, uh kind of third or or so quarter or third of sleep is um is devoted to uh, uh recovery and, and repair so if we aren't uh, we aren't um, both physically and and um uh, uh, cognitively. So if we aren't um, getting getting sleep, that process is, is not happening. And um, like we said, it, we're feeling it uh, the next day and can ultimately cause, you know, more longer term problems, right? If uh, one or two nights, right, we can usually work with that or adjust with it. But if this is happening night after night and week after week, month after month, which is basically the, the experience that uh, the patients I work with uh, have, have uh, been going through, um, we're, we're going to see kind of secondary problems, including uh, difficulties with mood and anxiety. So more of a, more emotional uh, challenges and, and ultimately, uh, disorders uh, as well.
0: I want to go through a few of the things that have been cited in various stories of people's theories of why right now, especially their are people struggling to sleep? And let's start with one that I think is being pointed at very often. And that is just mm-hmm. stress, pure stress. We're, yep. we're in a stressful time these days and everyone knows yep. that. Yep. And I certainly believe that stress impacts our sleep. It does for me, if I'm stressed out, I'm affected. Mm-hmm. Is, is there science that backs up that stress will affect how you sleep?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that's feeling stressed or anxious uh is uh, a very very common factor that contributes to insomnia or just sleep difficulties uh, in general right when you kind of think about it we when we're feeling stressed or anxious our bodies are in a a, a very tense state we we have um Uh, feeling tension uh, in our bodies where our mind uh, is experiencing a lot of uh, worry thoughts or anxious, stressful thoughts. And that's the exact opposite state that the body needs to be in in order to fall and stay asleep. So if uh, uh, we're experiencing more stress and obviously with this pandemic uh, where we've been throwing a curveball yet again with more restrictions and uh, 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 having to uh, uh, live with those, uh, work with these restrictions. It's um, causing us uh, a lot more stress and anxiety, and then that translates into not being able to fall asleep, or Scott stay asleep. Right, waking in the middle of the night. Um, that's a normal thing to do. The average person wakes up about 12, 12 times a night, but we quickly fall asleep, or and sometimes we don't even notice when we're when we're waking up. But when we're experiencing more stress and anxiety, those wakes in the middle of the night, it's hard to fall back asleep because mm. then. Then come the, the worry thoughts and, uh, uh, uh rumination. And that again is, uh, not really a really that uh, happens. Yeah.
0: He says oh, yeah. being very sarcastic and putting his tongue deeply into his cheek. <laughs> yes. Um, but, yeah. but shouldn't be, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't times of stress be when sleep becomes easier. Cause it's a great escape. If you're totally stressed out, you go to sleep and you don't worry about it. That would seem to be the solution.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Or well,
0: a solution. Yeah. Uh,
3: well, sure. That I mean, that's uh, not necessarily when we are, um, uh, uh, yeah, heading to bed at that regular bedtime um, or in the middle of the night. Uh, it can be an avoidance um, kind of strategy or, or technique is just to pull the head, pull the covers over a head and, and mm. try to uh, to fall asleep. But again, if we're feeling pretty revved up with uh, uh, the stressors of the day and, and the anxiety of the, the circumstance we're in. It's, uh, uh, it, it's not a, physiologically, it's not a, a conducive state to fall in and stay in sleep.
0: Mm. So, so there's, a, there, there's a real irony there that you're agitated, yeah. which yeah. prevents you from sleeping properly right at the time when you need more sleep to deal with all the stress. That's
3: right. That's right. I'll have people I, I'm working with, uh, be like you say, I'm really trying hard. I'm trying my hardest to fall asleep. <laughs> and <laughs> really those efforts are, are taking you further and further away from being able to fall and stay asleep.
0: Well, yeah, and there's the other side of it, which is, and I think probably many people listening, I don't think I'm alone on this one. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I think a lot of people may understand this. There's those times when you feel like you're sort of asleep, but you're not really sure if you're asleep. You're not, you're sort of half awake, but half asleep and not really, that doesn't count as sleep, does it?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very light uh, form of sleep there. And it's it's definitely not that restful or restorative type of sleep that we that we want to need in order to uh to properly function the next day. So again a lot more of that is is occurring with with people and Scott, not alone. It's um uh, it's something that uh from with behavioral strategies that are shown to be very very evidence based uh, even even more potent here uh especially longer term than the medications uh to uh to correct some of these difficulties. So um, uh, yeah, trying to uh, trying to uh, figure out here what uh, what we're becoming more aware of, what we are doing uh, behaviorally that's contributing to to uh, poor sleep is uh, is first steps here, and then implementing some some very very helpful behavioral strategies. Help, happy to talk about those two. If
0: like. Well, and, and so here's the thing as we move through, because I mean, Harvard University just did, or very recently did a dream study in, in during COVID, they, they did this. And mm. what they discovered was that people were having vivid and wild dreams more right. than usual. Why, why would our dreams take off at a time like this?
3: Yeah, because uh, when when there is more uh, stress, anxiety, and Scott specifically uncertainty, right? Uncertainty that's uh, uh, triggers even more anxiety. Um, something like a pandemic, it's uh, it's it's a experience that the entire globe is um, uh, participating in, right? Is uh, is experiencing, and so uh, it it um, contributes to kind of catastrophic outcomes. Some of that uncertainty or thought what if you know, cer- certain things uh, that we wouldn't normally imagine uh, uh, happening uh, that kind of flows into our, our dream and our, our uh, sleep state there. So it's a, uh, uh, it, it from what I understand, it's it's about this uh, great uncertainty and, and having kind of catastrophic uh, predictions about what might happen. And, and our dreams can kind of mess with us a little bit and come up with some pretty wild scenarios. So uh, that's uh, that might be a part of it.
0: As we continue working through some of the theories that people have had or, or real things, I mean, maybe they're not just theories, but um, how much has it impacted many people that are offices are now at home, sometimes in our bedroom, that we are now working from home and that work is right there all the time. We never really get away from work.
3: Yeah, that has a significant impact, Scott. So with, um, uh, uh, you know, traditional uh, treatment here behaviorally, what we have people do is, uh, is just reserve the bedroom for sleep and intimacy because our brains are constantly making associations. Uh, and if we are doing, including uh, the associations that we, we have with the bed and the bedroom. So if we're in the bed in the bedroom uh, doing any kind of activity, whether that's now working or uh, eating, watching TV or relaxing on our phones, our brains are making the association with being awake and being in bed. Or being in the bedroom and being awake and that's the last thing we want we want to just reserve that uh, that bed and bedroom for sleep and intimacy so that the brain knows okay it walks into the bedroom uh, and uh, and getting under the covers it knows that sleep is, is, uh, is going to come next so if we are uh, in that bedroom doing any kinds of wake-up full activities it's uh, it's making new associations there and so, uh, it can be very challenging for people at this time to uh, try to find another uh, room or environment to, um, to complete these wakeful activities in. Mm. So with that challenge, uh, uh, it's, it's um, it, yeah, very hard to employ the behavioral strategies then.
0: Well, and, and one of the other ones, and I love the term, although it's a terrifying term and it's not a good thing, but people are, we're hearing that people are often, they call it doom scrolling on their you know phone or whatever else when they're in bed, right before they try to go to sleep, mm-hmm. they get on their phone and scroll mm-hmm. through the internet and read a bunch of angry tweets and a bunch of stories that freak them out. And then they say, okay, now I'll go to sleep. And people are saying, yeah, th- that's probably not the perfect recipe.
3: No, never the perfect recipe there too. And, you know, we we uh, definitely in, instruct our, our uh, the folks that we work with our patients to to have a, a window of um, of uh, downtime, uh, trying to wind down for at least uh, 90 minutes here before you you head to bed, and that really allows um, the um, uh, uh, the brain to sort of uh, quiet down, release all the different. Uh, uh, work problems or home problems or any of the, the, the uh, challenging, stressful things that are going on in, in one's life, and so if you're then starting to feed it uh, information on the internet, which a lot of it is 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 uh, kind of uh, well um, depressing or or difficult or or uh, anxiety inducing, it's going to. Trigger a, um, uh, a type of anxious or stressful reaction and put that body in the state physiologically again that it's not, that's not conducive to falling and staying asleep, that very tense and stimulated aroused state.
0: So, so we've talked about three or four things, maybe five already. All of them show that none of us are doing the right thing before bed. We're all doing the wrong thing. But then there's the big yeah. one that got this, that wanted to make us talk about this because we saw a story yeah. that says one of the really big things that's affecting people mm-hmm. is that during the pandemic, a lot more people have been drinking a lot more, and mm-hmm. booze is affecting people's sleep. Which seems to mm-hmm. some will seem ironic because a lot for a long time it was you know have a drink before bed and it'll help you fall asleep. Yeah. This seems to be a big problem, though.
3: Yeah, yeah, it uh, it certainly is, and that's that uh, uh, that part that you just mentioned about having a drink before bed and and uh, having that be helpful to fall asleep is is in fact uh, uh, true. But the problem uh, with that drink is that later on in the night, it's it, uh, it starts to the alcohol starts to sabotage your sleep because it will. Uh, uh has the potential here to wake you up in the in the night and and uh, have you stay awake so uh the initial impact of alcohol um, can again potentially help you uh fall asleep or make you a little bit more sleepy but um you're, you're going to be paying for it later on uh in the night all right so effect. yep
0: so we've covered Everything not to do, well, not everything, but a bunch of things <laughs> not to do. So help us out here, because I'm guessing a lot of people have hit listening have hit one or two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we are saying that getting proper sleep is really important, and this is a very difficult time to do that because of all yeah. of these things, yeah. What do you say? What should people be doing? What What's the right answer for getting a good sleep these days?
3: Uh, so I would um, emphasize maybe two or three things here, it, and, and they're They're a bit of a tall order, Scott. Trying to uh, have a consistency to your day with uh, with routine and and a schedule as much as possible. Uh, and with that includes waking up at the same time every single day. Uh, I don't make much friends uh, with, uh, with that particular strategy, but, hey, people get better when, when they employ it. So <laughs> waking up, and this includes weekends. Even though everybody is earned a sleep in on the weekend, it is so important to maintain that set wake time in the morning because at that point in time, you're resetting your, your circadian clock, right? You're, you're providing uh, consistency, for your body. And that's what it that's what it needs. So you are also uh, starting to build your sleep drive at that point, And you need to have a good full bag full of sleep drive by the time that you want to, to go to bed and, and fall and stay asleep. So if you are waking up at different times in, in the morning, it's that uh, uh, it, it, it produces more variability with what your uh, the, the following night sleep is going to look like. So uh, that would be one major, major uh, strategy I would encourage uh, people to consider. Uh, another one would be, if at all possible, I know this is challenging too, but just trying to reserve that bedroom for for mm-hmm. sleep as much as possible, um, it, especially the home stretch of the, um, of the evening there. So not going into that bedroom until you're ready to, to get in bed in, with the intention of falling asleep.
0: It is, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. We've got, we've got oh, yeah. 30 seconds more, but yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, yeah, so, uh, and, and that's, uh, I will add to that, um, not going to bed when it's, when it's exactly 10 o'clock or 10.30. If you're not feeling sleepy, don't, don't go to bed then yet. Uh, go to bed when you're feeling sleepy. So mm. that's, uh, that is, a, otherwise you're just going to be up in, up in bed and, uh, and frustrated with, with not being able to fall asleep.
0: Dr. Cheryl Green, Associate mm-hmm. Professor with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neuroscience at McMaster. Oh, we really appreciate the time and the advice today. Thank you for doing this.
3: My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Scott.
0: Uh, it is uh, it is a problem. We're, we're, we're seeing this a lot of places that, uh, that people, even if they're not telling you about it, that people are really struggling with sleep these days, any number of those reasons. And I'm betting that people listening, I'm betting many of you hit at least one of those things that we are told is a complete no-no. Some of you slash me probably hit a lot more than one uh, time to start fixing life the bill kelly show weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 chml the bill kelly podcast is available
1: on apple Podcasts, google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from you can also listen to the bill kelly show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 chml